0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unorthodoxy. My name is Duncan Rayburn, and I want to briefly explore what makes an artwork bad. As you'll soon find out, it turns out that figuring out what makes an artwork bad can lead us to a surprising understanding of what makes a number of other non-artwork type things bad, too, including ideologies and sermons, which I'll get to in good time. For starters... I'm using the word artwork in a fairly general way. You'll find some philosophers do this, those like Martin Heidegger and Hans-George Gadamer. They say artwork, but they mean anything that results from human creativity, including books, movies, poetry, visual art, music, and so on. It could, if you like, even refer to podcasts and lectures and sermons. Many of you are creators, or at least people who dabble in creativity from time to time, even if in very small ways. But of course, what I'm going to chat about here briefly doesn't just apply to creators. It may help you even if you happen to be someone who just appreciates creative work. I think all of us from time to time encounter a work of art and we say to ourselves, well, that's not very good. What I've been wondering is whether there is some kind of essential feature of artworks in general that would cause them to fail. I think there is. Something fairly universal, not just relating to questions of quality. In fact, arguably an artwork can lack in quality, maybe technically flawed in some or another way, without ceasing to be a good artwork. This is to say, I'm thinking about why even expertly crafted stuff might still be bad art. Why, for instance, are the paintings of Thomas Kincaid so damned awful? even though they are, technically speaking, quite well done? Why are Michael Bay's movies so terrible, even though, at a technical level, they are unbelievably slick and polished? Why are Rupi Kaur's poems bad, even though they are rather sweet and inoffensive to most of us? Now, many of you will know that Thomas Kincaid's paintings sell incredibly well. Michael Bay's movies cater rather well to common taste and... Rupi Kaur is arguably one of our day's most well-known poets. Maybe some of you enjoy the work of creators like these, and I'm certainly not trying to offend you, even though I suspect that offense is inevitable when approaching a subject like this. In taking in the work of these and other populists and popularizers, it is tempting to say that you can be pretty sure that bad art is popular art. But let me be very clear What makes art bad is not its popularity. You know this as well as I do because a great many things that have become astonishingly popular are also incredibly good. Shakespeare, for example, wrote for a popular audience and is still regarded today as both popular and artistically ingenious. Although even Shakespeare, we should remember, wrote bad plays. Arguably, Shakespeare's art has improved over time it's become more artistically brilliant which may sound strange to hear but it should make more sense when I get to my explanation so if bad art isn't popular art at least not identical with popular art then what is it is there some approximately clear categorical issue at work in what makes an artwork bad well I think there is although I would also be open to debate this At this point, I apologize for what is about to turn into an overly opinionated take on a much beloved film director. I want to use the example of someone whose work I used to think was very good as a teenager, but whose work I now tend to find mostly fairly mediocre, namely the film director Tim Burton. Some of you may think that I'm being unfair to Burton, but I want to be clear, I used to think he was good, and then... After I saw his Planet of the Apes remake back in 2001, I began to suspect that while he was capable of making good art, something was broken in his perception of what art is that, it turns out, would continue to manifest in a rather alarming number of bad movies after that one cinematic monstrosity. Tim Burton has made some decent movies. The Nightmare Before Christmas and Big Fish and Big Eyes and Ed Wood come to mind Although, The Nightmare Before Christmas is arguably a better film than what Tim Burton himself would have made had he, in fact, directed it. But many of his movies are just really bad, even though, by some creative standards, they really shouldn't be. Remember that under his directorial command, movies have been made like the very poorly considered Dumbo remake and the very tragic mess of an adaptation of Ransom Riggs' fascinating and beautifully written novel, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. By the way, don't worry if you haven't seen any of this stuff, I am going to try and make what I'm saying make sense for you too. Tim Burton includes so much that is, at least seemingly, imaginative and odd and intriguing and sometimes he manages to get the mix right even within those of his movies that are otherwise not very good. I've already suggested this by the fact that I think some of his films are good or at least leaning towards the good but terribly often he gets things wrong and yet it's difficult to know exactly why. There's much that I should like and yet it has even seemed to me that when Burton gets it right, when his art is leaning towards the good rather than the bad, he does this somewhat accidentally rather than intentionally. I can't be absolutely sure about this, but with his misses outnumbering his hits in my view, the trend at least somewhat indicates this. So, what's the deal? The answer is quite simple, or at least seemingly simple, even though there are complexities involved. But It is located in the fact that Tim Burton's bad movies tell the audience what they should think and feel about what they are seeing, instead of allowing the audience any freedom to make up their own minds. In watching many of his films, I get the feeling that he is so enamored with what he is putting together that he has really not thought about the audience as a vital component of the artwork that he is making, the movie that he is making. In creative writing and screenwriting, one of the rules is show, don't tell. And I think this gets at where Burton, for one, frequently gets it so wrong. He tells more than he shows. In Burton's films, we enter weird worlds, worlds of supposed wonders, but everything is so overstated and pushy that it's difficult, for me at least, to feel like I have any space to make up my own mind. Burton's films, and I would take Edward Scissorhands as a classic example of this, are often incredibly preachy. In the end, the audience is basically commanded to side with the freakish over the normal. In the end, we're supposed to, it seems, admire Burton for his wackiness and creativity because he draws so much attention to it. But... In drawing so much attention to the wackiness and creativity, it ceases to be surprising. It ceases to be wacky and creative, and instead it becomes exactly what you would expect from Tim Burton. As a film auteur, he has become ensnared in his own presuppositions. That word I used back there, that word preachy, gets at what I mean. There is a fine line here and it's not always easy to know when it's being crossed and certainly subjectivity is going to come into play in deciding if it has been crossed but again the issue is do you as an audience have space to make up your own mind about the artwork can you think for yourself and feel for yourself instead of being told what to think and feel in burton's worst movies as a case of bad art in general the trend is for him to show you unusual things and for you to agree with him that this really is unusual stuff and that it's very cool. But let me use Edward and Big Eyes as examples of where he doesn't do this, at least not in such a pushy way. Both films are biopics and both deal with protagonists that have bad taste, namely the terrible film director Edward D. Wood and the Ketch artist Margaret Keene. I get the feeling that Burton regards their bad taste as somewhat good or at least appealing in a way, although I can't be sure. But these movies get towards the good by not preaching, by not telling the audience what to think and feel. Mercifully, the focus of the movies is showing the audience a story without including what the audience should conclude within the movies themselves. Such movies, at least as I watch them, show but don't tell. Big Eyes in particular does get a little bit too close to telling too much, but it doesn't always cross the line between showing and telling and so it leaves at least some room for the audience's autonomy and free will. I think the I think the film Ed Wood shows better than Big Eyes does. Let me put this more strongly. Bad art has a naive view of the audience. It doesn't trust the audience to know what's good for it. And so as far as it is concerned, the audience must be included in the artwork. This is partly why I find overly preachy movies of any ideological bent so intolerable. I feel like someone is or many someones are trying to manipulate me. I don't want to see the latest saccharin Christian movie or preachy women are oppressed men are pigs style movie. I'm a Christian and I don't want anyone to be oppressed, but I don't want to be told what to make of what I'm encountering. And I suspect the same is true for many of you. I need to be, and I dare say we all need to be allowed, the tiny shred of subjectivity that I and we happen to possess. I think of those movies where the sad music starts playing before the sad event has happened and so instead of allowing me as a member of the audience to feel in response to something that is sad it tells me feel sad bucko just listen to the music it's telling you it's sad so it must therefore be feel sad time from this you may notice that the issue is even deeper bad art resolves all tensions and ties up all loose ends for the audience Bad art has no paradoxes, no ambiguities, no questions. All tensions are ironed out easily. So in the end, we know what the bad artwork thinks about itself. It thinks it's great, so to speak. And in the end, really, because bad art leaves no room for debate and shuts down all questions and questioning, those who agree with the conclusions of the film will like it. And those who feel robbed of their agency will feel cheated. Which at least somewhat explains, I hope, why some art can be popular and bad while other art can be popular and good. A core difference is in the way that the audience responds to being told versus being shown. The difference is in whether the audience picks up on the preachiness of the movie or book or poem or whether they don't. Some people are enamoured by mere style, are convinced by style over content, and they just don't notice what is being imposed on them. Michael Bay's films, for me, are so self-satisfied with their flashiness and slickness, all style with no coherent content, that it is difficult for me to think that there is anything good about them, but my teenage self would have probably been quite impressed. Back then, imbibing, IQ-reducing and mind-numbing content was perfectly tolerable and even often quite desirable. Rupi Kaur's poems are so overly sweet and obvious that a younger version of myself may also not have noticed that she is preaching, but in my present state, I can't help but feel that I have no room to breathe. Thomas Kincaid's paintings basically scream, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, look at me, and so... I really don't care about his paintings and I would be happy to set fire to any of them. The opinion of the audience has already been decided by the artist or artists and it is most decidedly an opinion about what the artwork itself is. The artwork is bad because the artist thinks it is amazing. It is full of its own self-importance and rightness that we can't enter into it and ask Questions about its meaning. Again, in my example, some of you may notice that the issue of taste is certainly present, but again, the issue is not taste itself, but taste as representing a closing down of tensions and boundaries and questions. Bad taste, after all, is often equated with having no taste. To have no taste is to be unaware of how to discern, how to figure out where one's perceptions have been eradicated from the viewing experience all of this by the way is at least partly why i don't like preaching or bible teaching that is too settled on precisely how we must interpret scripture and as many of you have picked up i tend to prefer it when there is some room for me and the views of others when the exegesis or interpretation is one way of reading the text where there is one facet of this complex world of interpretation that is being lifted out and examined without the presumption that the meaning of the text has thereby been solved for all people, for all time. Another way to think of bad art is to think of the myth of Narcissus. Narcissus is caught in a closed loop, looking at his reflection, which is looking at him. There is no real room for anyone else, no room for an audience, and thus no room for genuine love. Bad art is, in this sense, narcissistic. But just in case you were wondering, I don't think that this explains the issue of bad art fully. And certainly a part of why I want to raise all of this is because I want to open up more questioning and more debate. But let me point out something else that helps to qualify what I've already said. It's not a complete explanation, but at least it should offer some kind of a direction for examining the question of what makes art bad. For this, I need to refer to some Aristotle. Specifically, his four causes, or what I like to call his four becauses. Aristotle argues that everything has four causes. Material, efficient, formal, and final. The material cause refers to the stuff out of which it is made. The efficient cause refers to what causes a thing to change from one thing into another. The formal cause refers to the pattern according to which it is made, and the final cause refers to the reason for a thing's being, the point of its existence, the so what, the the thing it aims for. I want to focus just on two of these causes here very briefly, namely the final and the formal causes. In Aristotle's thinking, these two are particularly closely linked. The final cause, especially in its intelligibility, is particularly reliant on the formal cause, the pattern according to which it is made. Another way of putting this is to say the pattern of formal cause is the intelligible structure that gives the final cause its meaning. On the issue we're looking at here, the formal cause includes the audience. Bad art tries to announce the final cause without paying any attention to the formal cause in a way It presents us with conclusions a final cause that have been completely divorced from any ground, that is, from any formal cause. Bad art announces the conclusions without setting the conclusion up. This is why ideology makes bad art. Think of wokeism or ideologically driven religion or ideologically driven atheism as examples. The conclusions are taken as foregone and unquestionable But any kind of form or pattern that would render such things intelligible is not even allowed into the question of its intelligibility. According to such ideologies, we must agree unequivocally, for instance, that some particularly highly contested moral question is always either morally right or correct or morally wrong or incorrect, without allowing us to pay any mind to the gray areas and turbulences and complexities of life, of which any sane person will know there are many. I'm not saying that there are no clear principles or rules. As the Bible would have it, for instance, idolatry is sin 100% of the time, and I agree with this. But such a conclusion, this conclusion that I agree with, only makes sense in terms of a robust pattern, which is a question of what reality itself is. Without the form, the content is unintelligible. Without the form, the conclusion makes no sense. Without the setup, the payoff is incomprehensible. Bad art is just not mindful of the form, even of its own taken-for-granted conclusions, and yet it wants to impose those conclusions on the audience. It mistakes the final cause, the aim or the point of the artwork for the formal cause. It mistakes the figure for the ground. There's a lot more detail in all of this that I could unpack and no doubt there may be exceptions to what I'm saying even if I can't think of any of those exceptions right now. But I wanted to put down these thoughts to at least offer a brief summary of the insight that seems to me to make the most sense as offering something like the essence of bad art. All of this can really be said in a sentence. The essence of bad art includes the work of the audience within itself and confuses the final cause and the formal cause. Maybe when you read a poem or watch a movie and you say to yourself, this doesn't do anything for me, maybe then you'll ask the question, Why? And maybe then you can ponder whether it doesn't do anything for you or in you because it doesn't respect you as an audience member and it doesn't allow you to understand how the point of the artwork fits with the way that the artwork has been set up. No doubt I have produced some pretty bad art in my life and maybe this podcast is too explainy to be any good, but... I hope it can be taken as a kind of key that unlocks many boxes and doors. At the very least, I wanted to give you something interesting to think about. You can feel about it whatever you feel. You can think about it whatever you think about it. Test it out. That's always been and will always be completely fine with me and I'm certain that whatever I'm doing here, I'm not trying to make your mind up for you. So. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening and for allowing me the space to think my thoughts out loud. I do appreciate all of you. Take care, everyone.